Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I was reading the headline this morning. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is, uh, what is today? Today's the eighth day of October. It is Friday. So as I was reading headlines this morning and surveying what we might discuss uh, here today, a new poll by the Pearson Institute and the Associated Press, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research, um, a new poll, you're probably going to hear this talked about today. Uh, across the news, a new poll revealing what, frankly, we all know, uh, that misinformation, also known as good old fashioned lying, is a problem. Um, And maybe not surprisingly, uh, people surveyed see it as a problem when they are trying to not only access information, but discern, you know, what is true and truthful today. Lots of blame directed at the government, lots of blame directed at social media and media and tech companies. However, um, very little blame when we look in the mirror. So there's only 20 percent of us who are concerned, apparently, that we personally have passed along or spread misinformation. Okay, which really just means we're not very good at looking at ourselves. Um, And 60 percent of us are concerned that. Other people we know, friends and family members, have been part of the misinformation problem, but we don't think we've been a part of the problem. So it got me thinking about something that when I was involved in Rotary, Rotary International, something that we said every single week. And and I guess I'm wondering if it might be helpful for all of us everywhere to start saying something every single week or maybe even every single day or maybe even every single time we think about passing along to others that which we have received. So it's called the Rotary four-way test, and it it goes like this. Is it the truth? And by the way, if something doesn't pass muster on the first question, you don't even get to the second question. So is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? So how do we judge whether or not something is the truth? What is the truth? How do we discern it? How do we tell truth from lies? These are ultimately spiritual questions. Um, And so I think that that provides for us as Christians a real opportunity to enter into today's conversations about misinformation. People will be talking about this poll. They will be talking about um, judging others to be passers along of misinformation, but not we ourselves. And the government, well, that's the real offender. And media, super big offender. Social media, super even bigger offender. Here's the reality. Social media depends on um, you and I trafficking in information, like hitting the like button or reposting or sharing something that we've received from somewhere else. And so I think our filters need to be stronger. Our filters, your filters, my filters need to be stronger. And we need to be asking ourselves, is it the truth? 
And then we need to be asking, like, is this going to build goodwill? Is this going to build better friendships? Is this going to be beneficial to all concerned? And we say all concerned, you know, as Christians, about whom are we to be concerned? So there you go. Let us be people who seek the truth and speak the truth and verify the source and pass along to others only that which we know to be true and good and provoking of goodness in the world in which we live. All right, we are his witnesses. And so let us be witnesses today whose testimony is honest and true in a world, frankly, awash in falsehood. First up this morning, we've got Alan Noble. Um, He has a brand new book, You Are Not Your Own, which, you know, is, of course, an answer to the age-old question, what is our only comfort in life and in death? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Joining us now is the Alan Noble. He is, among other things, editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture. He's an associate professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. One of my favorite books ever written uh, is one that he authored called Disruptive Witness. He's also on the leadership council of the AND campaign, and you can read his writing widely. You can also read his brand new book, you are not your own. Alan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be as excited as, as 6 a.m. can be to be here this morning. <laughs> okay, so what we're doing right now is actually evidence of the power of the technological world in which we live and, um, and the observation at the very opening of the book that we no longer live like we were supposed to live, which was to sleep until we felt like it was time to get up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 that's right. So tell yeah. people what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, so the, the, the theme, the thesis of this book is that we live in a society is that, that is not designed for humans as God created us, that we've intentionally designed our own society with a false understanding of what it means to be a human being. And specifically, I think that false understanding is the belief that fundamentally we are not our own, but we belong to ourselves. No, I said that wrong because it's 6 a.m. That we are our own and we belong to ourselves. That's the basic understanding that I think society, our institutions, values, practices, the ideas that's drilled into us is that fundamentally we're autonomous. We are our, we are our own, and uh, we have to define ourselves and create ourselves and uh, find our fulfillment and all these sorts of things. And as uh, and and if we live in this society that does not understand what it means to be human. My argument is that we're going to pretty naturally feel anxious and depressed, and um, there's going to be expectations that are are literally inhuman. They're asking of us things that are not meant to be asked of us, and uh, that, I think, is what what happens uh, all the time. When you use the term inhuman, first of all, I think it's really – that's a powerful term to use – and please don't make any effort to silence the little person in the background who's just being human, okay? So, um, <laughs> what, right? Like, okay, so we want to be more human in order to be more human living in a culture and a context that is dehumanizing on many, many levels and even contrary to our basic humanity 
um, denying of our basic design. Um, I just I think that and you get there um, uh, you get there when you talk about the lion in the zoo. So, I, I mean, because I do think that, frankly, yeah, I make all these observations. I think you're absolutely right on. And yet I feel like, well, what could I how could I object? What could I ever do to stop it? That's the most frustrating part is um, – so I, I teach contemporary literature, and over and over, secular, obser- uh, secular authors make the same observation. They will very accurately critique culture and, and point out ways in which this isn't working. Like this, this the whole way we're, we're living lives together, alienated, um, disenfranchised, all these different things, uh, dehumanized, it's, it doesn't work. Um, but there's this sense in which we don't, we don't feel like there's anything we can do about it, or not really – so for for your listeners, yeah, the the, the uh, image that I begin the book with is this idea. I discuss a, a condition called zoocosis, which is when you're at a zoo and you see a lion or a bear pacing in circles over and over and over and over. And uh, the reason for this is that they have a, a, a psychosis and a mental illness because they're not meant to be in captivity, but they are. And there are a couple of interesting things about that to me. First of all, is although they're not meant to be in captivity, the people who design that environment, that habitat, that cage, are probably the experts at that animal in the world, or at least among the top experts, or they cited the top experts as they designed it. And yet, even though it was very intentionally made for that lion, it wasn't actually made for that lion. It was totally insufficient. Uh, another thing that's interesting about that is when they start uh, doing this, they start pacing in circles endlessly. The way zookeepers will respond is to, uh, one, <clears throat> antidepressants, uh, and two, is enrichment activities. So like a, a, a weighted ball or a log or something for them to play with. And when I learned that, I realized um, that's me. Like I feel like that's what society's told me, that I need to fix my problem. I need a good hobby, an enrichment activity, and I need some antidepressants. Um, but nobody said, maybe the environment is not made for you. And the last observation is exactly what you said, which is that even when we're at the zoo and we see this animal pacing and we know, like, that's not, I don't think lions in, in the wilderness go in circles for eight hours a day. We kind of say, ah, gosh, what are you going to do, right? Like, we all need zoos, so it is what it is. Too bad. Sorry. Um, and I, I do think that that's our response as well. Yeah. Um, like the fate of the lion in the zoo, we, even if we object, ask ourselves, what can we do to stop it? I think that is um, that uh, the observations that you make, that you lay out the reality that we live in of alienation and dis- disenfranchisement, dehumanization, objectification, commodification, on and on and on. Um, but then you do present an answer to the question, claiming um, that if we better understood ourselves and embraced the mysteries, um, uh, we'd be better off. Like we would be able to live as those who know that we belong to Christ. And and even though, you know, the world we live in is going to operate in much the same way, we would operate differently yeah. in it. So let's have that conversation um, right after a very brief break. I'm talking with author Alan Noble. The book is You Are Not Your Own. And amazingly, we have copies to give away. Um, and what? the number to, I know, I know it's bananas. We are giving away copies of the book today. I know you're saying to yourself, okay. that's not they even have, possible. They still have to buy copies if they, even if they win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
I'll be quiet. Once you win a bo- once you win a copy, you can then buy a whole box for your friends, your reading group, right. your small group. Yeah, it's excellent. It's excellent. All right. So uh, if you want to enter the drawing for the copies we do have to give away today, uh, you text the word book to 877-933-2484. Alan and I will be right back. I belong to God. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. Um, our conversation partner this morning is author Alan Noble. You can find him on Twitter at the Alan Noble. You can uh, you can find him lots of places. Actually, um, he freelances for the Atlantic. Uh, he is on the leadership council of one of our uh, favorite organizations, which is the And Campaign. He's here today to talk with us. Oh, you can also find him at Christ and Pop Culture, where he is the editor in chief, and I believe the one who. Uh, ginned up the whole thing in his mind. Um, you can also uh, check out his brand new book, which we're discussing today. You are not your own. So, Alan, let's get to the question that is uh, sort of provokes the title, um, and that is the question of what is my only comfort in life and in death, and where does that question come from? So, in trying to, so we, we talked about what the the secular with the common with the society's primary anthropology is how they understand how most of us, even in the church, understand what it means to be human, which is that we are our own. And in the book, I try to argue, well, if that doesn't work, and I, it doesn't take very long to discover that doesn't work, what's the alternative? Is there another, another way to understand what it means to be a human being? And for that, I turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, the first question and answer, which is exactly as you asked, what is our only comfort in life and in death? And the Catechism answers that we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes through the rest of the Trinity. Um, but that's all the, I have memorized at this time of the morning. And so uh, the rest of the book is exploring that question. So if that's true, if we belong to Christ, uh, what are the ramifications? What are the implications? And, and how does that change? Does it address this problem of, of dehumanization? And as you mentioned right before the break, uh, it does and it doesn't, right? And I, I, I wish I could have wrote a book that said, here's how we solve everything. But um, I'm not the savior, so, uh, and I'm not a liar. I try not to be. So I didn't write that book. Instead, I tried to be honest. And, and I know that that might be a little disappointing sometimes to somebody just because uh, I – I don't know how we get out of the cage, um, mm-hmm. but I do know that we need – that there is real meaningful comfort in recognizing in, even when we are in environments that are, that are inhuman, real comfort in knowing that we belong to God. And that changes the way we perceive others, the way we act in the world. Is it going to change the entire world? Christ changes the world. He's the Redeemer, not us. So we have to do what we have before us, but we have to be aware – of what's happening to us and how we're perceiving things first. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Elon Musk um, kind of advertised your book. He didn't do so by name, um, but when he talked a week ago at the Code Conference um, about the fact that we live in a simulation, that we don't, like we're not actually living in Uh a reality, I think that he was making the same observation you're making. He's just making it from an expressly technological worldview. I mean, if technology is your, is your God and you're making the same observations that, that you and I are making today and that you say are being made in contemporary literature, like they have to come up with an explanation for that. So their explanation for it is we're living in a massive simulation. 
Anyway, what I a, just thought what a it gives terrible you terrible simulation. I know. Well, and it's apparently <laughs> being simulated by our people in the future. Like our progeny, our generational progeny is creating the dystopian reality <laughs> in which we're now living and sort of apparently watching us. Anyway, so I, I'm just saying that in terms of a conversational hook for your book, maybe for shows that aren't like this yeah. one. You have one. You can say, look, Elon Musk talked about this, and I can explain yeah. it. I'm just, you know, I'm here to Thank help. You. I'll I, take I'm any, to- any tips. Any tips I can have. Are you, so well, are you saying just, that I should have began the show with that example? Is this an on-air no, criticism you, of <laughs> No. No. I don't ever. There's no criticism here. You know, this is a criticism-free zone. This is um, we call place. it discern. Okay, we you. like call it discernment and truth speaking, and we don't, we don't ever call yes. it criticism. Thank you for speaking okay. truth into my life. There you go. All right. So when we talk about belonging to Christ, I do think that you get really practical in the book, and that is very, very helpful. So sort of in the what can we do um, part of the conversation, maybe give us um, give us a couple of thoughts today on when I'm walking out there in the world and I recognize that I belong to Christ, and I actually recognize that the whole world belongs to Christ and just doesn't know it yet. Yeah. What does it practically so, look like? In the book, I, I frame this in five sort of major implications. So uh, one is um, um, justification uh, or purpose. Uh, one is meaning. One is value. One is um, belonging. And the other one, identity, is the other one. Um, and so there are ramifications, implications for all of these things. But I, one, of the, one of them I think that means the most to me is belonging. Um, because uh, uh, contemporary people, on the one hand, feel like they don't ever quite fit in. The world is mm-hmm. changing around them. It's fluid. And that creates a kind of anxiety that also, by the way, helps drive this desire to craft an identity. Um, but we also feel like the people to whom we belong, we only belong to, as one of my favorite philosophers, Zygmunt Bauman, and I, and I love him because his name is Zygmunt Bauman, uh, mm-hmm. called Until Further Notice. So all our relations are until further notice. So we get married until further notice, right? Uh, I, I, I love my kids until further notice. Uh, my kids love my, you know, my, I love my parents until further notice. I, I have a brother and sister until further notice. In other words, uh, all of our relations we see as, as, as tenuous and optional. Um, so one of the implications walking out into the world um, is that, that we, if we belong to Christ, then that means the bonds that we did not ask for, the bonds of, of place, the bonds of community, um, certainly the bonds of family, uh, uh, those matter. And, and it's not that we um, have to accept uh, or, or we should tolerate abuse. That should never happen. But it does mean that we shouldn't see them as just secondary things that we can pick up or, or, or drop when somebody more attractive comes along or when your kid's uh, grow up and annoy you and you want to disown them or when you, um, you know, dislike your parents all of a sudden or your employer or your community. You decide, I don't like this community anymore. I'm out of here. Uh, that, that, that for Christians, there should be a posture of at least great hesitancy to, to break these bonds that are, that are actually deep. So that's one, that's one of the implications. 
Yeah, that's really that's really helpful. Okay, we um we don't have much time left, and I love talking with you, and so I regret this this conversation is not going to take the whole hour. But um, I want you guys to find Alan Noble. The book is "You Are Not Your Own." Our friends at InterVarsity Press are supplying us with some books to give away, which for which we're very very grateful. So um, I highly recommend it. Not everybody's going to get one, so you should uh, check it out for yourself. You can follow Alan on Twitter at the Alan. Noble. You should also check out Christ and Pop Culture. Um, I have one uh, final question for you. Yeah. Um, because you describe yourself as always bald, but also non Euclidean. <laughs> is, is that a question? That's a statement. That's a statement, Carmen. It, it, um, it is a statement that I would ask you to reflect briefly upon. Do, do you want me to explain why, why non Euclidean? Yeah, because, you know, I could imagine that it's because you imagine yourself to be spherical or some way non-geometric. <laughs> and I just want to know, what it, what is no. it? Yeah, that's great. All right. Super quick answer is uh, my wife was a math major and got a master's in math and economics. And so she's talking about non-Euclidean and Euclidean math. Also, there's a passage in the Brothers Karamazov where one of the characters says that he cannot understand a, uh, a, a uh, uh, non-Euclidean world. Um, in other words, mm-hmm. he can't have that kind of faith. And so uh, back when I did hip hop and produced and, and, and rapped, uh, that non-Euclidean was the name that I used. And so it's still my, my Skype name to answer your and email address. So Amazing. Totally amazing. And now, and now my producer, Paul Perot, is going to have that music the next time you join us. I can guarantee it. I can... <laughs> Cause you have is, rap music? That's what I'm just uh, thinking. And hip-hop, apparently. No, yeah, we are not, finding yeah, well, that. We're digging it up, man. We're digging it that, up. We are right. digging that up. Right. That is practically a guarantee that Alan Noble will be back. That's your coming back, man, because that we got to talk about that. Thank you so much. You're what welcome. a joy. What a delight. Thanks for getting up early. Bless the people in your home. Extend the blessing of the book to others. The book is You Are Not Your Own. Alan Noble is the author. we got copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. Not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in All right, our friend Chris Martin has been raising concerns about Facebook uh, all along the way. We now have this revelatory series of articles in the Wall Street Journal, the revelation of the whistleblower last Sunday night on 60 Minutes, her congressional testimony on Tuesday, and now uh, the cover of Time, which uh, says the question or asks the question that my guess is we're all now asking, delete Facebook? Question mark. Well, here to unravel that ball of twine for us and Put it all into perspective um, for us as Christians is our friend Chris Martin. He returns with his Terms of Service blog. We'll be right back. How many times have you walked into your team's room on a Sunday morning informing him it's time for church, only to hear a muffled, no thanks? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Teens are leaving the church in record numbers. According to the Barna Group, close to 60% leave church after the age 15. Mom and dad, if your kid is one of those 60%, don't take it personally. Instead, start discussing this matter with your child long before he or she becomes a teen. Show them that attending church is not a duty, but a privilege. 
Model to your teen what living out your faith looks like. Who knows, that Sunday morning no thanks may turn into a yes please. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. That's parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining us now, Chris Martin with his Terms of Service blog, which you can find on Substack. He is also an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen. Good to talk to you this morning. It's good to talk with you, too. I'm looking at your top of the week, and you lead off with four key takeaways from Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen. Um, or Hogan. And um, I would love for you to just walk us through what in the world is going on with Facebook and ultimately answer the question, um, delete Facebook? <laughs> well, we'll answer that question right away. Uh, you know, I, in all my writing and a lot of my uh, attempts to reveal all the ways social media negatively affects us, I don't always prescribe people like that the only way to fix the problem is to delete your accounts. I think for a lot of folks deleting Facebook accounts or any, honestly, any social media accounts that maybe you've recognized you have an unhealthy relationship with can be wise. Um, but what I always remind people of is that if we delete any social media accounts, Facebook accounts, Instagram, whatever, um, we're never really, you, you can't escape social media. I talk to my, um, 85 ish year old grandmother on the phone every Sunday and she will frequently talk to me about what her friends have shown her from Facebook, even though she's never used Facebook a day in her life. So um, I think if you would like to delete Facebook, uh, I would encourage you to do that and never stop anyone from doing that. Uh, but I think we should be wary of the fact that we can't really get we can't really escape its influence, even if we delete our accounts um, on the Facebook whistleblower. Man, so what hasn't been going on with Facebook is a real question. <laughs> but uh, with the Facebook whistleblower in the last week, we had really in my opinion, and in the opinion of columnists for the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, people who cover this stuff for a living, um, we had the best interaction regarding social media uh, with Congress that we've really ever had. Um, in the past, when a social media executive like Mark Zuckerberg or others have appeared before con a congressional committee of some kind, whether for privacy issues or for election meddling issues following the 2016 election with Cambridge Analytica and all of that. Um, there's The conversation has always been set up to deal with an important issue, like what we just des described, privacy or, or election meddling or, or foreign actors manipulating people or, or something like that. But what it often what often happens is senators or, or representatives end up to using their time to just berate the social media executive for whatever pet problem they have. For conservatives, that's often, are you censoring conservative content? For uh, liberals, that's often, are you a monopoly and should we break you up? Um, once or twice, the companies have gone to Congress for that reason, to talk about whether or not they should be broken up. But, um, but a lot of times the main issue, like the stuff that actually affects us, our privacy or how it's affecting our mental health, sometimes just get thrown by the wayside. However, that didn't happen this time. And I think I was super impressed in the 30 minutes or so I was able to watch of Francis Hogan's um, uh, 
presentation before the congressional committee. I think it was a Senate, the Senate Commerce Committee. Uh, I was really impressed with the senators and their lines of questioning, largely. Um, they were staying on topic. They were asking questions that were relevant. There was very little uh, uh, kind of spiraling into conversations about censorship or things that were just unrelated to why she was appearing before them. And so I was really impressed. And what we get from from the whistleblower Facebook whistleblowers, we get someone who's an insider but doesn't currently work for the company. And she didn't just work for Facebook. She worked for Pinterest. She worked for Google, Yelp, like the review app. Um, and so she has a good idea of how how this stuff works. And so she, she was able to present um, a sort of uh, broad view of how these things negatively affect people. Uh, she presented the research on how Facebook covets young users. Um, and, and how they really go after young users despite health concerns. Uh, like 32% of teen girls say that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. That's part of what was reported from the Wall Street Journal last week. And so she she talked about the negative side effects of that and like why that's a problem. And her, her kind of refrain that she went back to over and over is that Facebook routinely chooses profits over people. That was kind of her, mm-hmm. her cornerstone phrase. And I mean, I've said that probably on this radio program a handful of times. I've certainly mm-hmm. written it a dozen times um, that, that Facebook just always seems to make, quote, mistakes or make changes that happen to be in their best interest and not in their user's best interest. And it was really impactful to have somebody who's been on the inside – who, who chose to leave Facebook on her own will. She, she didn't like get fired. You know, it's not like she was a bad employee or, or we have some sort of ethical issue. As far as we know, uh, she, she chose to leave the organization. Um, it was really helpful to have somebody from the inside with like the receipts, as it were, with the paperwork, with the research to show Facebook knows this stuff is a problem. They're not saying anything. And her case is she's going to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and saying, Facebook has lied to investors and they should be investigated by the government as a result. So um, I think her work is incredibly important. Um, and and I think what we saw this week from her um, will be a great service to all of us around the world, frankly, but especially in the United States moving forward. So, Chris, I think to be perfectly honest, like one of the challenges that I face is Facebook is really easy to use. There's a lot of people on it. Um, and it is a free resource. And so I think we have to get over our addiction to that which is free and easy when it comes to technology. Um, and it, 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 it ought to be worth my paying for it if I am going to rely on it. And I'd love to talk with you um, about the reliance that ministries and, and frankly, you know, those of us who are trying to get a message out there all the time – um, how reliant we have become, not just on Facebook, but on other or all the constellation of free um, social media platforms. Because I think the fact that it's free and that they make it so easy to access and use um, and that there's so many people there to reach, right? We're just all Correct. drawn in. And that's part of the problem. So can we talk about that right after the break? Of course. Fantastic. That's up next with Chris Martin. The Terms of Service blog is excellent. You should be following it. It's on Substack. We'll be right back. We're talking with Chris Martin. He is uh, 
my favorite expert on the social internet. Um, let's talk about it as the social inter- internet and less as social media, because I think when we hear the term social media, we imagine that there's some group of people in charge of it, um, disseminating information upon it, and we are consuming it. That's actually not what we're talking about. It's a social internet. It's a web of relationships. And what I post um, and what you post are then out there for others to um, to repost. And so uh, let's talk about it as an interactive platform for which we are all uh, at a level responsible. Um, and And let's talk about, Chris, how we are being discipled or catechized, influenced by by the social internet, because I think that sometimes, well, and you point this out in um, in a piece that you have on your blog right now, censorship isn't Christian's biggest social media problem. Our biggest social media problem is that it's discipling us and we're not paying attention. Yeah, I have a lot of conversations, as you can imagine, about the stuff we talk here on your program about. Um, I have a lot of conversations about social media, the social internet broadly, um, beyond just the apps that we often think of, and, and like basically what is connecting with other people via the internet doing to us. Um, that's one of my favorite things to think about uh, and, and write about and talk about with with people. As you can tell, I'm, I'm really fun at parties. Um, but <laughs> I, I like to think about these things because I think a lot of times we don't we don't think about how these things are affecting us. There's a great uh, there's a great podcast episode that the Gospel Coalition released this week between Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, uh, and I think the quote from Sam Alberry that I tweeted out was, "If you aren't thinking about how you're using social media, you're probably using it incorrectly or poorly." Um, and he's not talking strategically; he's talking about like for your mental health and your spiritual health. And I think that's right. <clears throat> and I think. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of the conversations I have had over the years with people who uh, maybe not familiar with or if I go do like a speaking event or something like that, one of the most common topics and as I alluded to in like in our conversation about the whistleblower, one of the most common topics that people talk about when these executives go before Congress is censorship and uh, and our Christian messages or conservative messages being thwarted or shadow ban you know is my favorite conservative commentator being shadow banned from a platform <laughs> and um, we we've seen plenty of instances where that kind of stuff is a is a problem and, and we should be aware of that um, and I, I would say there's also evidence to show that it's not just against conservatives but um, I, I think that is something that we should have our antenna up about to be sure but I think unfortunately we're a lot more interested in uh, matters around social media censorship than we are about social media discipleship. And I think we should be a lot more concerned about social media discipleship. We're more interested, unfortunately, in the ways that we can form the world than we are with the ways that the world is forming us. So we're very we're very concerned about how we can e- express ourselves, and we're, we're very interested in protecting our expression, but we're not very interested in protecting our hearts. And I think part of the reason is, is because um, it's really it's just a whole lot easier to be antagonistic towards someone else out there. Like they are out to get us and Facebook is suppressing my content or Google is suppressing my content or whomever else you want to paint as the aggressor. Um, it's really easy to just say they're, they hate me and that's why my worldview isn't taking over or why my content isn't performing well. Um, I mean, I can't tell you, I do a lot of social media consulting, like strategy and stuff like that. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the years of Christians who think the reason that their Facebook page isn't growing is because they're Christians. And I just have to mm. tell them, frankly, no, it's because your content's bad. 
Um, like <laughs> your content's just not good. It's not high quality. And, and a lot of people just like, they genuinely think these platforms are out to get them. And I think it's important. And I, I just felt the need to write about this because I had another conversation about this recently, um, that, that Christian social media problem, our biggest social media problem is not censorship. It's discipleship, but mm -hmm. the sort of like oppositional posture that's afforded when we, when we're fighting this sort of like secular Jesus hating culture, uh, is, is really lucrative. It, it gets people to donate money to our ministries. Like yeah, Facebook suppressing us, donate me money or, or whatever. Um, I mean, people do that kind of thing. And so I think it's, it, it's a whole lot easier to ignore the ways that we're mishandling social media and the way it's warping our own hearts. Uh, it's a lot easier to ignore that than it is to face it. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested in getting us all to be a little bit more honest with ourselves and realize that um, our biggest problem with social media has a lot more to do with us and how we're using it than how they, I mean, you know, I, I'm a critic of Facebook because I think they take advantage of users and, and things like that. But I think I examine my own relationship with these platforms as much as I uh, critique them on, on what they're doing sure. and how they're run. And I think it's important that we do that. So um, Emily has texted in, and I think you will um, enjoy uh, what, it, what Emily is saying. So um, she, she agrees on the sort of the free and easy conversation that we started having before the break. Um, she talks about, you know, better apps still being cheap, you know, two or five bucks a month. And it should be worth our privacy uh, to, you know, to, to engage in that way. Um, she's kind of like subscribing on Substack to good journalists versus free online newspapers that maybe, you know, poor journalism and obviously viewpoint or, um, or, or bias based. Um, yeah. She also says that the way we access news is, you know, is changing. I don't see it going back, Emily says, to the traditional way. I'm grateful. Um, and she says, grateful to listen to Faith Radio. Well, we're grateful, Emily, for you as well. Um, ad address that, Chris, that, you know, if, if I really do want access to um, maybe less biased, or if I want to know who I'm subscribing to and I recognize that they're biased, like, I have to pay for it. Like, that's sort of where we've, I think that's the point yeah. at which we have arrived. Yeah. Yeah. The, the era of good free journalism is largely over. Um, and I think that's that's good because journalists should be paid for their good work. And for a while, they've been kind of languishing, trying to figure out how to how to get paid for their work in an era when everything is free um, in every, all sorts of information are free. And this is a problem that's not going to go away. What I love for a at least in, in my lifetime, probably um, what I love for a social media platform that costs three dollars a month to pop off and just like and give us uh, and give us a reason to get away from Facebook or anything else and and reduce misinformation and all of that. Uh, yeah. Of, and, and and actually, as she addressed, um, help us with our privacy concerns, which are a huge concern of mine. Yeah, I think that would be great. Uh, the problem is it would never take off. Because people, the masses will all, always flock to the free platform. Because here's a here's the thing: unless, until some major catastrophe happens with personal data, like like you know a sort of, if you will, nine eleven of personal data, like this national catastrophe of all of our data being leaked because Facebook got hacked or something like that, and it has like actual real world implications on us. Like we start getting inundated with like uh junk mail to our houses because facebook <laughs> got hacked or i don't know something like that where it has like real world implications you're people i've banged my head against the wall trying to get people to care about privacy for like five years and no just no one cares which is sad 
but it's going to be hard to get someone to pay $3 a month to fix a problem that they probably don't think is a problem. Um, so I, I don't think that we're ever really going to have a paid social platform that really takes off because the masses will always like the most popular one will always be the free one in a perfect world. Mm. We would have like a Facebook that operates in an ethical way with user data. Um, and that would be perfect, but I just don't know if we'll, um, yeah, that's probably the best way forward. And hopefully we can see that, but I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I think you had, you got to pay for good stuff. And unfortunately that's why misinformation is so prevalent is because mission misinformation is the free stuff. And that's not, not, it's not to say that the people who are doing good journalism should make their stuff free by any means, but it's just a, um, it's just, People who are lying will will lie for free just for the influence. And again, back to the social conversation, um, unfortunately, the platforms are run by algorithms that we've talked about before that are uh, that respond more to conflict and uh, and polarization uh, than they do unity and good conversation. And so as long as we're using platform, I would just encourage people not to find their news via social media, honestly. Um, like connect with friends via social media, connect with people around similar interests. Like if you're really into fishing, connect with other people who are into fishing through a Facebook Not the PH kind. Great. Not the PH kind of yeah, fishing. Just, the actual right. like get yeah, out there that, in a creek with a rod and reel kind of fishing. Right. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I know. Yeah. Okay. On the, so, but, but find your news elsewhere, yeah. Yeah, no, totally, 100% agree. Um, love that Emily is listening. Emily uh, is is a young person. Love that she's engaging um, with us. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Chris, as always, thank you. It's not just Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. It's also Snapchat headlines in Minnesota today related to the use of Snapchat for um, the pornification of kids and the trafficking in child porn. You guys might want to look that up if you are in not only Minnesota, but obviously anywhere. It's not like Snapchat is uh, only in one particular state. Um, it's also not just those platforms. Um, it's others as well. So let's be vigilant. Let's be concerned. Let's talk with our young people um, because accountability is going to happen inside of our personal relationships. It's not likely going to happen on a national uh, level or international level related to these things. Chris Martin, as always, thank you so much. You guys need to check out his Terms of Service blog. It is on Substack. We'll be right back. All right, a uh, quick follow-up for those of you who have wondered, because today's the day. Juliana Tamarazzi, who um, shared with us about her work in the Middle East with Assyrian Christians through the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. You remember she was nominated to uh, for a Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Well, she didn't win, but we still want to celebrate the way that God um, has used the nomination to shine a light on the ongoing needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, half a world away, living under very real and severe persecution. So you can learn more about what Juliana is doing and encourage her at iraqichristianrelief.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.